So, Beth, the new year's coming up. It is. I can't believe it. 2019. I know. 2018 was a pretty busy year. I think there's a lot of changes that we saw in PR. And, you know, in our first podcast where we talked about five tips for keeping up with things, we talked about things that are happening right now and that have been evolving over the last several years. Um, But there are more changes coming, and there are things that we haven't covered and that are going to be really important moving forward. That's so true. And, you know, when you think about public relations as a practice, it has completely evolved from what it was even a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. It's completely different. Whereas we used to focus solely on traditional media relations, that is still a huge part of what we do every single day. But knowing, you know, how newsrooms look today, knowing what all the different channels that are out there right now, as PR professionals, PR practitioners, we have to evolve and change with the you know, new things that are coming out. We have to try and test these different things to see what works. We have to make sure that they align with our strategy, make sure that they align with our clients' business goals, and then course correct as needed and measure, measure, measure. Because what gets measured gets done, and we've got to make sure that what we're doing is appropriately aligned, again, to our strategy and to our clients' business goals. So just as you said, PR is evolving, and so excited for our guest today, Jenny Dietrich. She is a powerhouse in the world of PR, and she's got some great tips and trends for the coming year. Right. So for our listeners, whether you're a PR professional or a business, Jenny is really going to be one of your best bets for actually kind of looking into the future and seeing what's going to be happening next year. So we are so excited about everything she has to say today. We hope you guys enjoyed this edition of The Boilerplate. Today on The Boilerplate, we have Jenny Dietrich, the founder and CEO of Arment Dietrich, which is an integrated marketing communications firm. She's also the author of Spin Sucks and co-author of Marketing in the Round and co-host of Inside PR. She's also the lead blogger at Spin Sucks and is the founder of Spin Sucks Pro. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Well, tell us a little bit about how you got your start in PR. How did you, um, how did, how did, how did you end up here? Oh boy. Uh, I always want to make a reference to the jerk and say I was born a a poor black child, but not everybody (laughs) gets that anymore, which is sad. (laughs) Um, the, (laughs) you know, I needed a job, to be honest. I had an English lit degree and I was going to go to law school and my mom got really sick. And so I had to put that on hold and I had to get a job. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just do this job thing for a year and, you know, then go to law school while I'm helping my mom and everything. And I I started as an account coordinator and (laughs) the rest, as they say, is history. (laughs) Law school never materialized because I just kept moving up the ranks and and, uh, you know, I worked for Fleischman Hillard for many years, and then I moved to Chicago to build a PR department for an ad agency, which was an interesting um, experience. And then I went out on, my, out on my own. I think PR advertising, this whole industry is kind of a good accidental English major. I fell into it. Right? So that, that's kind <laughs> right? of the same thing that happened to me. So, <laughs> Are you an English major? I am. Yeah. I, and I had no idea what I was going to do with it and just kind of stumbled into marketing. So You, you kind of don't know what you're going to do with it. You're like, I'm good at writing and reading and comprehension and... 
I have no idea what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, what kind of things drove like, okay, so you're looking for a job. What kind of things just kind of drew you to PR as you spent, you know, you started off as an account executive. What made you make that switch into PR and what do you like about it? Um, really it was, I was doing some graphic design and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the creative part of it. And I also, this was during college. I also was writing for the Omaha world Herald and I was writing their obituaries and wedding announcements. <clears throat> Fun experience. Um, and they actually offered me a full-time job, but I didn't think that that was what I wanted to do. And at that point I was still thinking law school. I mean, I'd taken the LSATs and I had applied and you know, all of that. So I turned the job down and then this all happened with, in my personal life. And a girlfriend of mine said, Hey, I just interviewed for a job that I don't really want. I think you'd be better suited. Do you want me to make an introduction? And I was like, okay, sure. And that's what happened. So, um, you know, from a, a creative standpoint, it really helped, you know, I enjoyed it more than the graphic design stuff I did was doing. And I certainly enjoyed it more than writing obituaries and wedding announcements. <laughs> um, plus, you know, there was opportunity for growth and career tra trajectory and all that. So I just stuck around. They couldn't get rid of me. That's one of the interesting things about being part of an agency is that, you know, it really does keep your creative juices flowing. You know, no one day is the same. You know, you're working on multiple industries. You're having to juggle multiple clients. You know, it really does keep things interesting and it. It really does help to keep you motivated, I feel. You get very good at multitasking. Very good at it. And you get to be around a, a bunch of different creative people and just learn different things. Like, so you had a background in writing. You did graphic design. Uh, you just get to learn so much and be a part of so much awesome work. So that I think, you know, just working with people who are smarter than me is one of my favorite things about kind of being in the industry. That's awesome. Not many people are like that. I love to be around smarter people too. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we want to get you talking about some PR trends for the future, but I also am interested in hearing since you've kind of been in PR, what are some of the changes that you've seen from the time you started up till now? What's changed? <laughs> Change? Has PR changed, Jenny? No, it hasn't changed at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is going to age me. This is not a nice question. <laughs> um, well, you no longer have to look up media in the bacon, big bacon's green books. <laughs> There's one change. Um, I used to come back from traveling and I traveled a ton because I was doing event coordination for Fleischman. And, you know, the magazines would be stacked up in my office just waiting for me to read them so I could figure out who to pitch and what to pitch and all that. So that certainly has changed. Um, but even in the last 10 years, I mean, Twitter started to, I think Twitter was 2007 and we all stored, started the early adopters in 2008. So it's been around 10 years, you know, that social media has started to infiltrate our industry and really change the way, the way we do things. But I would say the biggest change and the one that I'm the biggest proponent of is, you know, I, I remember, and this again will age me, but I remember when PRSA came out and said, okay, we have a new way of you, of you being able to measure your work media impressions and advertising equivalency. And we were all excited to be able to have this multiplier that we could use when a story ran and that we could get out our rulers and measure the article and use that for an advertising equivalency so that we could put a dollar amount to it. I remember that. And I re also remember that everybody in my office was like, I don't get this. So I became the ruler measurer and the um, person who figured out the dollar amount because math is hard for PR people. Uh, so that became sort of my, I was sort of the go-to person for that. So obviously those things mean really nothing and they're not real metrics. 
And so it's been really fun to watch, especially in the last 10 years, all of the data that we have at our fingertips and the ability to measure to real business results. That's a huge thing. You know, we've been talking about that internally is the whole idea around vanity metrics and why were we measuring these things? You know, this publicity value, which actually there is zero standard across our industry. Why, why are we measuring it against advertising equivalency? Because it is not equivalent. So let's, let's change that. Let's get down into what are the metrics that matter? Yes, please. 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 These are, these are the things, these are the, you know, tactics, the, what we execute is actually going to help move the needle. We need to measure against those and make sure that they align with our clients' goals. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're just throwing things up in the wall and seeing what sticks. Right. And you know, I think one of the biggest challenges that our industry has is that we don't tend to be business people and we also don't tend to be in control of a P&L. And so even if you're, you know, if, if you work for a large corporation or a large agency, there's certainly your department certainly has a profit and loss statement, but usually it falls under marketing, right? So we don't typically as an industry have that business acumen. And without it, I think it's really challenging for us to figure out how to prove that we're an investment instead of an expense. Exactly. So what are some of the metrics that you look for to help prove that? You know, I I mean, I certainly think there are some vanity metrics that at the very, very top make sense. And that, you know, website traffic, bounce rates, you know, engagement, all of those things, kinds of things, fans and followers certainly give you an indication of whether or not something works. But I think that's where most PR people stop. Mm -hmm. And that's just the beginning. So we look at things like, you know, increased search rankings and increased domain authority. And from there, then we look at you know, what people are doing once they're in the, the funnel from an email perspective. Are they clicking through and are they engaging and are they moving through the funnel and are they, you know, clicking on calls to action and are they converting into a marketing qualified lead that then becomes a sales qualified lead. So we, we track all of that and I want to know exactly what is driving the most business success, both for my business and for our clients. It's really important to dig down deeper into those metrics as well. And, you know, something that we have tended to do is, you know, we've got all there, all these different measurement tools out there now, some for social media, for website traffic, for all Mm -hmm. every, every single thing that you execute in public relations. And we've created our own dashboard, if you will, that kind of compiles all that information together. And what's been so helpful is taking that back to clients and saying, okay, so here are the things that we're measuring now. Do these align with your overall business goals? Is what we're doing is what we're measuring? You know, yes, it's aligning with the strategy that we put together in our overall communications plan. However, does that still align with your business goals and what what we're measuring moving the needle for you? Is it, does it right. actually make a difference? Right. And hopefully the answer is yes. yes. Otherwise we have to course correct. Yes. At Inferno, <laughs> the answer is always yes. Yes, That's- yes. <laughs> yes it is. Yes. <laughs> well, getting into um, kind of, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, what's changing, what we're, what we've seen then, what we're seeing now going into 2019, what, what are some of the key things that you're seeing in the public relations landscape that are going to be of key importance for PR practitioners to, uh, to follow or to, to execute? Oh, I think there's a few. Um, voice search is certainly one thing. Um, you know, there are a few practitioners that are saying, okay, 
how do I write content so that it can be found when by voice search by she who will not she shall not be named because if I say her name she'll turn on <laughs> um, Siri and Google Home. Um, so you know how how are how are we writing our content not just for desktop and mobile searches but also for voice? I think that's a, a big one. Um, artificial intelligence continues to scale and. Though I think that the industry as a whole still has its head stuck in the sand on this one, um, mostly because I think people are really f fearful that the robots are really going to take over their jobs. I'm really an advocate of, you know, robots are never going to replace empathy and creativity and storytelling, which really is what we do best. And so focus on that and let the robots take over things like media placement compilation and media list development and even some of the research and, you know, social advertising, tweaking stuff like that, that you don't have to manually do and, and let them pull your, your data into your dashboard so that you don't have to manually do all that. Like let, let the robots do that kind of stuff and let us focus on our creativity and our em empathy and storytelling. And you were talking about, and we were talking about that earlier about, you know, all the different tools that are out there now, take advantage of those mm -hmm. and, you know, use them to, to your advantage to make sure that you and focus on the storytelling yes. and the things that actually take strategic thought because yes. everything that can be automated and, you know, done through a platform that can be integrated into your current systems, why not do that so that you can, exactly. yeah, I mean, you know, your clients are paying you to provide them with strategic counsel and for value. So to, to be able to apportion appropriate time to do that, you need to, you know, delegate some of the other menial tasks that, you know, don't require that strategic thought to something that can be automated. Um, you know, one of the things that we're finding really fascinating, especially as we're talking to clients about adding artificial intelligence in to be able to help us do our jobs and to other agency owners as well is, well, sure, I, I understand that, but that's an extra cost. And I already have a person doing that and I'm already paying them. So if I'm paying them, um, and I also buy this software or, you know, whatever it happens to be to help them do their jobs. Now I have to find more work for them to do. And it's this extra cost of adding in. And so a lot of agency owners are saying, yeah, in theory, it makes sense, but I can't really afford to do it right now. I'm just going to ha keep having my person do it, even though it'll be cheaper in the long run. I'm not going to make that investment right now. Exactly. So what do you think the solution is there? You know, I, th I think it is a challenge for sure, but... <clears throat> I mean, I, I probably should not say this out loud, but uh, software is always going to be cheaper than a person. And so when you're looking at your next hire, I always recommend is that is is it a person? Is it a human being? Or can you shift the work that that your humans are doing and then, you know, spend that money, which wouldn't even cost you the same as it would salary and benefits and all that spend a portion of that money on something that's going to help you become more efficient? Efficiency is key in everything that we do. So, you know, it's, it's trying to find the balance um, in terms of what makes the most sense for your business, what makes the most sense for the clients that you're working with, and what makes the most sense for the resources that you have at your disposal. What are some of those resources maybe that you're using or that you've seen other people use to really help you take advantage of artificial intelligence? Um, well, I mean, there's certainly a lot of marketing automation that is happening, right? So that's the beginning of it. Um, which is amazing. And, you know, you can do it for email and 
customer relationship management and all that kind of stuff. Um, one, a couple of things that we're working on is we have recently taken all, we, we were manually entering all of our data into a dashboard in a spreadsheet. And we recently took all of that into Google Data Studio. And so now it pulls everything and dumps it into, you know, wherever we want it. If we want it in a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint presentation or just pretty visuals or whatever we want, it dumps it for us. And so that's easily saving probably five to eight hours a week of a person's time. And then next year we're investigating right now. Um, one of the things that I'm looking at is go using Watson personality insights to help me uh, create our internal training. So, you know, internal training is always one of those things that gets put on the back burner because you're working with clients and, you know, you're working in the business instead of on it. And then you bring somebody new on and there's all this weird onboarding and they kind of just have to sink or swim. And it's not, and, as you scale a business, that's not very smart. So um, with Watson Personality Insights, we can add in 25 personality markers. And then what we've been doing is um, transcribing conversations with clients. And it goes into their file in our CRM. And then we can dump those files into Watson with those 25 markers that we've just decided on. And it builds the online internal training for us. So it does videos and podcasts and all that so that we don't have to spend the time doing it. Yeah, we're not there yet, but that's what we're, we're that's what we're going to work on for next year. That is wonderful. Um, yeah, you mentioned something earlier about, um, you know, you, you focus more time uh, doing the business versus, you know, you know, versus on your team. And, you know, that's something that I think any agency owner, anyone who is, you know, managing a team struggles with because, you know, there's work to be done. Do it. You can, yep. you know, figure it out. You can do it. Um, but yeah. You know, onboarding is a, that's a big, it's a big part, you know, especially as, um, you know, PR continues to change, you know, you've got to make sure that your team is changing with you and changing with that. So that's your current team and that's the new team members that you're bringing on. So, um, figuring out ways to increase efficiency across all aspects of your business, whether that's training, whether that's reporting, uh, media relations, whatever that may be is, is absolutely crucial. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm a big, big fan, big fan. Right. I mean, as an agency, something that we really focus on is we don't want there to be this lapse in uh, quality for our clients. So if we have someone leave, you don't want there to be this really obvious gap of here's when our last person left and here's when our new person started. And now here's now our new person is up to date and they're really good at doing what they do. You want that transition to be as seamless as possible. And you don't want your clients to to realize a difference in that quality. So it's super important to train those new team members and to do it efficiently and and really well so that your clients don't really know the difference. And it's super important for any business that deals with customers on a regular basis that they ensure that there's no lapse like that in quality when employees leave. One of the things that helped, one of the catalysts that helped me change my thinking on this was when I read Built to Sell. And it's really about, it's a really good book just because it, it looks at an ad agency, a guy who owns an ad agency and follows him through his path of creating process. So it's really relatable for us. Um, as service business owners. Um, but I, the, the thing I really liked about it is it kept talking about creating a process or a recipe just like McDonald's does and Starbucks does. Like no, no matter where you go in the world, you can get a McDonald's cheeseburger that tastes exactly the same. And the same things with, with Starbucks coffee. You know, they've created something that you can replicate over and over and over again. And I think that's one of the things that 
as service organizations we miss out on, but that artificial intelligence can certainly help us build. Uh, creating templates, creating, you know, diff- reports, whatever that may be, like the Google Data Studio, you know, it, there are ways to increase efficiency and to help you do your job better so that you can focus on the more important aspects of your business. And really, to your point earlier, which is, you know, it also can help you create that uh, consistency across the board. So if somebody leaves or somebody's on a maternity leave or somebody's sick, there's no there's no, you know, the client doesn't know. They don't experience that because you've been able to use AI to fill in those gaps really easily. There really is a seamless transition among everyone on the team. I think it's important to note too. I mean, it's always scary to hear, oh, we're going to automate this whole thing. We're going to make it a commodity and, you know, (laughs) make this industry that has constantly had this service. uh, We're going to automate that and make it super easy. Uh, That idea of mcdonalds defying the whole ad industry and customer communications, it's it's scary to a lot of professionals in, in, in the industry, but there's a little bit more to it than that. There's that secret sauce. There's that human element that AI really can't replicate and just that creativity and that idea generation. So there's always going to be a place for uh, people in, in the P- PR field and the advertising field to just add more value to that. Oh, yeah. And that's why I think that's I really believe that artificial intelligence will never be rid of us entirely because that's what we're good at. That's what we do. We're we're phenomenal storytellers. So focus on that and the strategic side of things. And if we can do that, then the robots will never replace us. Speaking of, um, you know, I guess not really speaking of artificial intelligence, but, you know, something that um is very intelligent that you coined the phrase, I believe, um, the whole, this whole idea of the, the peso model, um, you know, and thinking about that and thinking about, you know, getting back to, you know, what, what we're really seeing in terms of, um, trends for the next year, you know, we've been talking about the peso model paid, earned, shared, owned for quite some time, but, you know, I still feel like from a PR standpoint, there are, um, you know, there's still a heavy emphasis on media relations as there, you know, should be, but there are so many changes when you think about what newsrooms look like today. And I think the latest stat that came out was six PR professionals to every one journalist. Yep. And knowing what that, yeah, and knowing how and you know crazy that stat is, and knowing how much harder we as PR professionals need to work, we really do need to change our mindset in terms of what are the tactics that we're actually executing now for our clients, because media relations is not the only thing anymore. That that was, you know, that was what PR was many years ago, but there's so much more that PR is these days. So. Talk to us a little bit about the PESA model and how we can, or, or how you see that really integrating and what PR professionals need to do in 2019. Look, I'm, I'm biased. I'm a communicator by trade. It's how I grew up. It's what I am. I will never abandon the industry. And I'm certainly not saying that our marketing brethren are better or worse, but it drives me crazy that PR has not stood up and said, hang on a second. Earned media has always been ours. So stop pitching SEO specialists, stop pitching and trying to get your links. Let us do that because it's going to be far more successful. We've always been writers. So content should belong to us. Yet we're letting the marketers take that over. So 
now we have the social, the search engine specialists, search engine optimization specialists that are doing media relations. We have marketing marketing managers and directors and specialists doing um, me, uh, content marketing. Social media does not, for some reason, does not belong to PR, even though we're relationship people. I mean, you know, public relations. And so we've we've let the other industries take these and own them and we've not taken a leadership position on it. And that's why I push the peso model so hard because we absolutely should because it's what we do, it's what we've always done. And yeah, I mean, for sure, there are some SEO specialists and there are some marketers and there are some advertisers and you know we we are all of one brethren. They are, there are some that do it ex extraordinarily well, which is great. But the industry as a whole, the PR industry as a whole, should own the PESO model. We should be owning earned. We should be owning shared. We should be owning owned. And from a paid perspective, it's email marketing. It's social advertising. It's native advertising. It's sponsored content. We've been doing that stuff for years. It was called something else. It was called advertorials and event marketing. But we've been doing that for years. And for some reason, we have not stood up and said, hang on a second. <clears throat> relationships is in our name. This is what we do. And we're very, very good at it. So I keep pushing it. Sometimes I feel like I'm pushing a boulder up a gigantic mountain. But I really, really believe that we should own all four of those media types. I mean, we should. It's You're exactly right. And that, that's, that is part of relationships. It's part of the name. It's part of public relations. And it's it's extremely important to be thinking about integrated marketing, integrated PR, and everything that we do. So we you know when your client has a story, when your agency, whoever has a story to tell, or even when they don't, there's always some kind of, if you, even if you don't think that there's something news, whether there is always a story to tell. So having a blog, having a space to share that owned media is absolutely crucial. From there, you share it on social media. It can and should always be repurposed on social media. And then there's another element of the earned media portion. What's the hook? What's the unique element of this story that makes it newsworthy enough for a journalist to pick it up? Then you pitch it. And then because you've gotten into Bloomberg or whatever you know, amazing trade publication that you've pitched to, then put some money behind it and make sure that that gets to your targeted audience. And then we really truly owned every aspect of right. the peso model. And it all, you know, there should be an aspect of every piece of that in everything that you do. Otherwise it's okay. We're going to do this one thing and kind of stay in this one lane and it's, it's only going to go in that one direction. And there are so many other people that are on different channels. And that goes back to social listening as well. Thinking about, you know, ensuring that you know and understand who your audience is, that you're communicating with the, that audience at the right time when they're having the, what are the conversations that are having, that these people are having? When are they having them? When does it make sense for you to engage in those conversations? So I think the PESA model is extremely important and, and there does need to be wider adoption of it and everything that we do. What do you think the value of moving everything in the PESO model under PR is? What did, what does bringing it all under that PR umbrella, what kind of value does that offer clients? Well, the value, I mean, yeah, the value is it's integrated. I mean, to best point, it's very, you know, you, you have 
I was I was talking to a girlfriend of mine the other day and she works for an organization where marketing owns social and events and paid and then they her department does um, her department is communications her department does media relations and some content but not content for social and not content for the website but content from the perspective of working with journalists and bloggers and she said the thing that's really frustrating is I will see on social media that we're as an organization doing something that marketing has has released and launched but hasn't had a conversation with us at all and so <laughs> this this is this is not an unusual or unique situation in most organizations where marketing and communications don't talk to one another. They're completely siloed. And that's a big mistake because that means that there are varying messages going outside of your organization to your audiences. And that's confusing. Nobody like, I mean, think about any organization that you can, that you would think of that uh, Facebook's a great example of it right now. They're in so much hot water over the Cambridge Analytica and Russian elections and all of that. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg refuses to show up for uh, in front of any government other than our own. And they're in major hot water for it right now. And their communications department was let go about f four or five months ago. And so there's this all this chaos and nobody is having a, the right conversations externally. So, all right. If I have to give in and say that marketing owns the peso model, so be it. I don't believe that. I believe that PR should own it. But if that somebody needs to own it and keep it completely integrated and make sure that it's not siloed, that the media types aren't siloed inside organizations. Something you said a second ago really speaks to this as well. And just this idea that, you know, people on the marketing side and people on the PR side really just need to communicate. I think this is something that in the past, we've kind of worked towards internally, and I, I think we're getting there a, a little bit more every day. Um, but just kind of knowing what uh, what different department strengths are and how those can add value to the whole project. Um, for instance, I'm a copywriter, and so I'm more on the marketing side of things. Um, so my job is to just uh, say things in a way that I feel is enticing, uh, in a way that will get people to take action and that speaks to them. Uh, in a more common language and just a way that they feel like, okay, this brand, this product gets me, they understand my needs and here's how they're answering that. Um, that does not always align necessarily with how people are actually interacting on social media. So for me to really craft that good copy, I need to understand what are those conversations out there and what does that look like? And that's where the PR team comes in. And so a lot of it is just communication between their department, between our department and making sure that the message that I'm crafting truly does fit authentically the conversations that are happening out in the real world that people are having online, on social media, and that their needs and interests that are being expressed every day are matching up with the message that we're trying to craft to them and show them, here's how our product, our service can to better benefit your life. I think that's where PR offers a lot of value because they just have those insights that as a writer, I don't have. So those communications internally, they help us be better at what we do and they help us craft a more authentic message for our clients. Right. 
Well, in creating that, we've talked about this, you know, on several episodes, but talking about this whole audience engagement map, who are your different audience groups? What are the different messages that make sense for these audience groups? And then what are the channels that are appropriate to disseminate those messages to those audience groups? So making sure that, you know, we're all working together on these integrated campaigns to ensure consistent messages, but at the same time, ensuring that the message will appropriately resonate with the right audience on the specific channel you're writing for. Yes, 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 yes. We have to, have to, have to be integrated and talking to one another. We have to. So what else? What else are you seeing in terms of trends for 2019? AI, voice search, peso, metrics, of course, we talked about that. Um, Influencer marketing, I think, is going to continue to evolve and increase um we now have we started out with celebrities and then we had influencers and then we had micro influencers and now we have nano influencers so um i think that that will continue to excel and you know certainly the challenges that come with it with fake influencers and all that um but i don't think that's going away anywhere anytime soon well talk to us a little bit about nano influencers so you know we've been talking a lot about micro influencers but what about what about nano influencers (laughs) I think it's kind of silly but the New York Times just coined it so um, you know micro influencers would probably be somebody like me you know with 30,000 40,000 50,000 Twitter followers a nice engaged community you know a good following and then a nano influencer would be somebody that has you know a hundred or a thousand engaged followers, you know, that those people listen to every word that that person says. So it may not be, you know, I'm certainly not going to get 30,000 people to to take action when I um, promote something, but a good percentage will. And with a nano influencer, a higher percentage will. So maybe it's 90% with them or, you know, 95% with them versus, you know, 30% with me somebody like me. Gotcha. So it's more and maybe clients can think about this or PR professionals can think about this more on the local level. So who in your local market has a, you know, maybe smaller, but highly engaged following that you can align your brand or your client's brand with? Yeah, I think that's a really great example. What are some tips in terms of, um, you know, nano working with nano influencers, how to, you know, engage with them on the front end, how to, you know, pitch to them or how to ensure alignment with what their brand is with, you know, aligning with, I guess, your client's brand and and making sure that, you know, with the whole idea around maybe not fake news, but just more so, um, you know, authenticity around what people are pitching. How, How can we ensure success in terms of working with nano influencers? So I think I think that go, it goes across the board, not just with nano influencers, but influencers in general. But on the agency side, it really is doing the right research and figuring out, you know, are these the right influencers? Are they already talking about us? Do they already have, you know, have we seen an, an increase or an uptick from them? Um, we're working with a client right now and they're building their their influencer list for next year. And we looked through it la- the, right before Thanksgiving and... Um, we were going through it and I said, okay, well, let's look and see what the data tells us. So we go into analytics and we look to see, you know, what kinds of traffic um, the influencers that, that they've worked with this year have sent them and what those people have done and how engaged they've been and all that. 
Um, and when we did that, we found two influencers in there that were not on the list for next year, but they had they, the results that they had for this client were phenomenal. So, you know, had we not used the, the data from this year, and certainly you have, right, you have to be doing an influencer relations to be able to do that part. But had we not looked at the data, we would have missed out on two really great influencers who weren't even on the radar, but until, until we looked at, at analytics. So I think on the agency side, it's really, you know, figuring out who makes the most sense, where they make the most sense, and whether or not they already use your product or service. And then on the brand side, you want to make sure that you're not dictating what they do or don't say. You want to make sure that 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 you're not saying, well, you have to message it this way, you have to do that. Like you have to let that let the influencer be true to their own brands. And that's why when you're doing your research, you want to find great alignment from that perspective. Because as soon as it it looks like it's coming from a brand, it's not going to, going to work. It has to be authentic to the influencer. Exactly. If you, you know, if, if it looks like it's too scripted or too much of an advertorial, you definitely lose trust with your audience. Well, also, what about video? Do you, so we've been talking about video marketing for quite some time. And, you know, that's something over the last couple of years, especially in terms of PR, we've been able to you know, think about how we can integrate video into our strategy, into our content calendar, into our, you know, into our everyday tasks, if you will. And thinking about, you know, the type of video that we post on social media, it's very short form, thinking of the integration with Snapchat, with Instagram stories, these more short form, quick videos that don't require a ton of production. Um, you know, that I don't see that going away, but in terms of how video can truly be integrated into PR, how, how do you see that transitioning or what do you see that transitioning going into the next year? Yeah, I think, yes. And you're right. It's huge, 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 huge. We started doing video, uh, probably about six weeks ago, um, mainly on Facebook and Instagram and the results are staggering be between, you know, image and text versus video. Um, one of the things that I will caution with video is that people tend to be a little more ruthless mm -hmm. when they comment on video than they do on text or images. <laughs> so if you have clients, especially if you have clients that you're going to be, you know, putting the person on video, um, just make sure that they have some thick skin because, <laughs> whoo, <laughs> Um, people are ruthless. So, and we didn't, we don't find that with images and with text like we do with video, but the results are, like I said, staggeringly different. I mean, we can go from 2% click through rate on our Facebook ads with just image and, and text to we're at like five and a half or 6% click through rate on our video ads. So there it's, it's significant. So I would for sure, for sure, for sure. I mean, I think the statistics, something like 60 is 60, something 67%, 64%, somebody, something like that in the sixties of people are visual learners. And you know, everything that we do is text-based. Why are we doing that? I think it's comfortable for us, but you know, when you're speaking to a majority of the population, they are, they learn by watching. And so video has to be part of a communications plan next year. And you mentioned, you know, we are visual learners and because 
video is so interactive, it creates this, you know, completely new form of, it's not, it's not new, obviously, but it creates this completely immersive form of, um, marketing of PR. And it's a great, you know, we are storytellers and Mm -hmm. this is a perfect Mm -hmm. way to do that and to get your message heard and understood and shared like nothing else out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. The results, the data is incredible. Incredible. I I honestly would not continue doing video if the results weren't as good as they are. Well, and, you know, going back to measurement, I mean, it's really important to show your clients. This is why we're engaging in this type of um, activity because the results speak for themselves. You know, this is the form of marketing that gets the most engagement. This is what we want to continue to do so long as we are providing content that is of value. And as we're seeing increased engagement and we're seeing, you know, more people share and and like and comment and things like that and actually take action mm-hmm. based on what our content on the video is is saying or is um, displaying, then, you know, we've got to keep up with it. We have to keep innovating in that way. I think one of the important things about video is just a lot of businesses, when they think about it, they think, you know, I don't want to spend this extra money. I don't want to spend all the manpower it's going to take to create a video. I think, first of all, they don't realize that you can still create decent content without a a huge budget. And so creating anything that helps people feel like they're engaging with you is important. Um, But the more budget you can put towards it and the more polished that video can feel, again, you want to keep authenticity, but uh, people just like to experience videos. It's the reason we go to the movies, the reason we watch Netflix. Um, we just we like to see people looking at us and talking to us, and we like to feel like we're experiencing that. So I think short of being in person, um, you just kind of re- can't recreate that engagement any other way. I totally agree. And, you know, I think there's the old school way of looking at video, which is I have to hire a crew and do all the lights. And, and there's certainly a place for that in, you know, some corporate videos, but when you're talking about 30 second or one minute videos for social or, you know, quick how to's or tutorials or quick introductions of team or things like that, you can do it with your phone and it's just as good. Right. So, I mean, there's certainly tricks. You could add a light and, you know, some good, some good sound, but it doesn't have to be the full on crew who spends half a day with you and sets up all the lights and does all of that. Not anymore. Exactly. And there's not that much time, you know, people don't have the the time or the resource for those things. And when you think about, you know, how our attention spans have continued to decrease over the last few years, you know, you, you want this to be, like you said, 30 seconds to a minute. And there, you know, are so many different apps. There's just the you know, your, your photo filter, your video filter on your iPhone is that, that can capture it. There are free editing softwares out there that you can edit if it even needs to be edited. Um, but even with Facebook live, with Instagram live, Instagram stories, you know, there's so many ways to incorporate video into your strategy. It, it, it definitely should be a part of your strategy and it doesn't have to have some crazy production budget attached to it. Yeah, totally. I I think for me, even outside of being a marketing professional, so if I can step away from that for a second, I think for me personally, I think what a lot of people enjoy about kind of where we've been going with video in the last few years, especially on social media, is that businesses aren't faceless anymore. It's not just some 
thing that I'm selling to, especially small businesses. It's not just a place that's trying to market to me. It's actual people who have actual lives and are actually invested in the products and how you use them. And so just seeing that connection and feeling like, okay, not only am I attached to this brand, but I think the person who runs it is actually pretty cool. And I really am invested in their product and their content. It, it just makes a really big difference to get that connection. Totally, totally agree. Yes. And it goes back to the authenticity. You know, this person looks like me or I identify with this person. I identify with exactly what they're talking about. And I can see myself using that product because that, you know, it aligns with my values and what I'm interested in. So we were talking about earlier the whole idea of, um, you know, interactive and, and that video is the perfect way to ensure that you're properly engaging and interacting with your audience. Right. You're exactly right. And Jenny, one thing I like about everything you've said today, you know, whether we're talking about video or incorporating AI to kind of streamline things is it's almost like a dream time to be in PR because this thing that we've been trying to do for decades is connect with people in an authentic way and help them, you know, learn our story, but connect with us and, and on a more on a deeper level. And so all these new technologies and the um, availability of micro influencers who are also using video all those things just kind of come together in this perfect storm of it. Like it's a really good time to be in this industry and to try to connect with people because you have so many resources at your hands to do it well. I love that. Yes, it is a dream time to be in this industry and things are evolving so much that it's fun. It's fun. It I mean, there are no one day is the same. There is so much to keep us interested and entertained. And you know, that, all the new channels that are coming out, whether that's social media or, and, you know, when it comes to earned media, digital, whatever that may be, not every single thing is going to be the right thing for you or for your client. That said, try it, try it out. See if it makes sense for your, for your client. See if it aligns with your strategy, with your client's business goals. And then from there, you can determine through measurement, through AI, through whatever that may be, you can determine, okay, this is something that we should, you know, add to our content calendar. This is something that we should add to our annual communications plan, or maybe it's not, but at least you can say that you tried that. And then, you know, this XYZ is the reason why we're not going to do that again, or ABC is the reason why we are, and we need to do more of it because this is what our audience is going to engage with. This is what's going to help move the needle for our business. And that's such a good point. Just test, test, test. It doesn't cost a lot of money to test. Try it out and see what happens. Exactly. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so grateful for your time and your um, your insight was absolutely um, tremendous and thinking about all the different things that we have for 2019, you know, at our disposal and things that we can try and test and continue to execute. There's just a, it's, as you said, it's an exciting time to be in PR and we're, we're grateful for the information that you shared today for sure. Ah, and you guys got me fired up. So that's even better. <laughs> well, I feel really bummed out that we don't have more time to listen to you, but um, I'll definitely be checking out some of your resources. So uh, where can some of our listeners find you on social media or uh, some of your books? What, how can they stay in touch with you and, and keep up with your content? The best place is spinsucks.com. Everything's there, including social. And I tend to be a little more hands-on than I probably should be at this point in our um, business life, but you can find me there for sure. Well, as an avid reader of Spin Sucks, I can say that the content there is of value and everyone should check it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much again to Jenny Dietrich for all your insights today. We hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with her as much as we did because we really got some valuable things to move forward into 2019. We hope you did as well. Be sure to follow along at podcast.creativeinferno.com. We've got more great content coming for you in 2019 in PR and integrated marketing and much more. Happy New Year.